The body of Christ is really supposed to be a community in which we strive to deconstruct the systems of oppression of our day. We continually see the message of the gospel not only co-opted but many times uh, branded to keep the people in power in power. Welcome to all God's children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones that break the skin and bones of the body of Christ and the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 2 is brought to you through the generous support of Fellowship Southwest and American Baptist Home Mission Societies. On today's podcast, I am joined by Tanika Shepard and Jennifer Butler. Dr. Tanika Shepard has a passion for leadership development, missional service, and organizational advancement, and is the president and founder of Shepard Leadership Solutions. Reverend Jennifer Butler is the founding executive director of Faith in Public Life, which works to change the narrative about the role of faith in politics, wins major policy victories, and empowers religious leaders to fight for the common good. Today, we aim to assess the church in North America's bodywork. More finger pointing than fixing. If there has been a disagreement, then we have a division, a doctrine, a discipline, and a denomination for it. We split and name our churches after it, but we are called the body of Christ and we are members of each other. Some way, somehow, we've got to make this work. Join us as we discuss the North American church's body work. But first, won't you pray for us? And do pray with me. God, who is not a body, But spirit, though embodied in Jesus the Christ, this is the great mystery. Persons have tried to measure you as half God and half man, but you didn't come to be measured or measured up. Instead, Jesus came to drink of a cup that went well with crucifixion. We confess he didn't come to stick his neck out, but died with his hands out, extended though rejected. But the church in North America wants to be accepted by the empire and its rulers. We measure your body by its rulers, which get in the way of who you are. Won't you remind us of who we are in you? Because we crossed our hearts and were supposed to die in those baptismal waters. Yet our pointing fingers rule us. This is why society accuses us of being hypocrites and rightly so. Jesus prayed that we might be one, but we used Robert's rules of order and voted no. Which is why your body doesn't work for younger generations. Because we want to be his body. We want to see his body, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. God, won't you free Jesus' body? Trapped in a grave of tradition and kept down by race, politics, and the patriarchy. In the name of Jesus, whose body we crucify afresh and call it the Lord's work, we pray. Amen.
When I was growing up in the South in the 1990s, when we watched movies on VHS, and there was one phone in the house with a really long cord, during the worship service, persons offered a testimony. It was a weekly update on how God was at work in our lives. We began first giving honor to God, who is the head of my life, to the pastor, visitors, saints, and friends. Well, today I want to testify about the North American church's bodywork. I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. During a weekend revival, we were invited to give our lives to Christ. But now, an adult, it seems that many believers take them back and go back and forth with members of Christ's body. There is a lot of infighting. From red and blue carpet to red and blue states, this is not the battleground that they prepared us new converts for. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. I thought that we were going to be different. We sang songs that included the words. I looked at my hands and they looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. But hands that praised God during the worship service scratched backs during the fellowship hour. And when things didn't go their way, they voted with their feet. This is how the body traditionally works. We just get dressed up on Sundays to agree to disagree with the pastor who is supposed to preach from the Bible, but only the scriptures we like. Baptized believers, still we rinse and repeat, I had such high hopes for my faith, but now I don't know what to believe, because I have seen how this body often works, killing the spirit and any chance of its leading, hurting its own body because it doesn't like certain members. It is a testimony against the church and how it hurts to stay, which is why so many walk away, because the Jesus we met in scripture is not who we see on Sunday. And if we are to ever trust his hands and feet, then the North American church has got some work to do. Our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20, and it reads this way in the New Revised Standard Version. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back. Fellowship Southwest is a network of churches organized around compassion. FSW is agile, ecumenical, and willing to do whatever it takes to serve people in need. Their network includes all kinds of churches, and they like it that way. At FSW, your church can be itself and your mission can be multiplied. Learn more at fellowshipsouthwest.org. 
American Baptist Home Mission Societies is your partner in mission and ministry, empowering God's people for today's real-life challenges through continuing education that sharpens ministry skills, mission trips that put faith into action, and a virtual platform for ministry professionals to network and learn from one another. American Baptist Home Mission Societies helps you live your faith every day. Visit American Baptist Home Mission Societies at abhms.org to find out more. Religious freedom has been white too long. Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty is exploring this truth and reimagining its mission at the intersection of religious freedom and racial justice. Listen and learn with BJC. Visit bjconline.org resources for videos, discussion guides, podcasts, and more to help your congregation and community host meaningful conversations about faith, freedom, and justice. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. Welcome to Nika Shepherd, who is also the executive pastor at the Fountain Church in Miami Gardens, Florida. And Jennifer Butler, whose most recent book, Who Stole My Bible, is available everywhere books are sold. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth. Feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. So this season is about body work, right? About the church and its finger pointing. Uh, it's my premise that the, the judgment begins in the household of God, that we must first start with ourselves. And so I thought that uh, we would have a conversation about it, about what the body needs to do. Uh, so the first question that I have for you both is, is, is this, it starts this way. It says, uh, the North American church's history begins with a self-serving interpretation of scripture. Uh, that reimagines America as the promised land and recreates human beings as masters and slaves. Africans and later African-Americans are told they have no soul, uh, that baptism does not liberate them from enslavement. Their conversion did not change anything. Further, they are prevented from worshiping with their oppressors, uh, which leads to the creation of the black church. Uh, so founded upon division and mostly segregated on Sunday mornings, how then does the body of Christ work? So in my view, the, the body of Christ is really supposed to be a community in which we strive to deconstruct the systems of oppression of our day. We see that in the book of Exodus, where God leaves the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt and tells them to establish a community that rejects slavery, that remembers that they were once slaves and out of empathy decides to create a society where there is no slavery, no oppression. And then Jesus is the new Moses. Mary says of her son that he will cast tyrants from their thrones. Well, and so we are supposed to be this body of Christ that works to dismantle all the hierarchies in our society. And instead we have become captive to the state. And that happened back under Constantine, which when I was a child, I was taught that that was a good thing, that Christianity was blessed by the holy, the holy 
Roman Empire. Yes. It's called Caesar Lord, not Jesus Lord, but called Caesar Lord. So I was told that that was a good thing, but Constantine was where Christianity got co-opted, hijacked from a religion that resisted empire, resisted tyranny and slavery to one that served empire and served the state. And then that gets brought over to America, which goes to what you read in your question about the enslavement of African-Americans and using the church to justify that. So in my view, at this point in time, we have to recreate the body of Christ because our institutions have failed us. Jennifer came to preach today. (laughs) I don't know what you came to do, but Jennifer came to preach a word. Tanika, what say you? I think that I see uh, several issues. One is in this theology of almost a manifest destiny. Um, I think that um, when it's it's okay for people to be free. So we use the people of Israel being free, but as a um, as permission to oppress others um, and and to um, wipe out people with genocide. Come to America. And it's not until you read the liberation theology of Native Americans that you see there's a problem um, in that promised land um, ideal. Um, and, and, I, and I love me the book of Joshua. Let me say that. <laughs> Preached on it two weeks ago. But uh, in and of itself, we have to think about what that means when we see the world um in 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 this idea of who are the canaanites of our day um or i call them the ice like the people who it's okay to wipe out the people who it's okay to oppress because somewhere somehow god has a bigger plan in mind for our oppression and um gives it permission and so the other part of when you ask about how does the body of christ work i think it, it there's a you know looking at our history looking at what Jesus was continuing to do, it should be working in resistance. Um, And even if that resistance is in and of itself to the religious establishment um, of our day, we we, um, continually see the message of the gospel, not only co-opted, but in many times uh, branded um, for the, um, to, to keep the people in power in power. And then, um, we make it easy by saying, uh, you know, the people in power should have a certain color. Like it's really dumbed down to the point that you don't, you don't even, you just got to look at color. You just have to, we make it simple for people to be oppressed instead of being a liberating agent. We are actually um, the one who provides chains at, at, at any turn. And so I think that we have to, if we are not part of the resistance, if we are not actively a part of justice, then we are actively a part of oppression. And that is where uh, we have to um, have people just make a decision. Uh, But I I want to say that um, in the face of every, when we uh, suddenly there's this call, I think, to racial reconciliation and I always ask the question, what am I reconciling to? Such a good question. Such a necessary question. Your comment leads right into the next question, which is this, because it seems that it doesn't seem like it. The fact is that Christianity goes well with a lot of things. 
sexism, capitalism, militarism, nationalism. So Christian nationalism and white supremacist terrorism evidenced by the storming of the Capitol on January 6th uh, has persons questioning their faith and why it goes so well with them. Uh, William Sloan Coffin declares in Credo, uh, it behooves the North American Christians to realize now what the German churches learned too late. It is not enough to resist with confession. We must confess with resistance. What should the body of Christ be resisting? Where should our hands and feet, hearts and minds, lungs, tongues and mouths be working? Hmm. I love this question. I think that we have to recreate church and we have to understand that all of the rituals of our church are meant to equip and empower us to resist these forms of oppression and these hierarchies. And so that's step one is like getting our spiritual house and spiritual selves in order and understanding that racism is so internalized in our bodies and in our souls and in the body of Christ, which is an extension of our own bodies, that we actually have to, no matter how awakened we think we are, we have to dismantle that. And so I've been thinking about exorcism, which is something a lot of you know, Christians get nervous about today because we think of it in terms of like um, superstition or whatever, but an exorcism, an exorcism today would be exercising the ways in which for me as a white Christian, my white privilege has been embodied in my body and in my soul in ways I don't even know about that. And so for me, the spiritual work today is about doing that, doing that exorcism. That's just to, you know, we can go over all the rituals and kind of think that through, but I like thinking about exorcism right now because as I strive to create a multiracial, multi-faith movement, I'm being challenged in ways in which my leadership sometimes embodies the very supremacy of white people that Christianity calls us to dismantle. Mm. So we got to do that spiritual work and then we got to go outside and we've got to engage the powers that be of our time, which is what Jesus was discipling people to do and to live out this radical ethic of love that challenges Confederate soldiers when they reinvade it, when they invade our capital. Like we have a colleague is calling it a Confederate faction. We are still fighting the civil war. We Absolutely. have to be very, very aware and alert to that because this is not over. We are fighting that same battle that we've been fighting since the beginning of the country. And some of us fell asleep for a while. Mm-hmm. So we need to gear up and organize and understand that our faith voice really does matter. Our moral vision and reclaiming our text and reclaiming what Christianity is about in this moment when Christian nationalists are invading the capital and hurting, killing people and trying to steal our democracy away, we have to speak up as people of faith, speak from our faith traditions and work with people of all faith traditions to reclaim, to not to reclaim because we've never had a democracy, but to build a democracy that we've often spoken to, but never attained and never truly even been committed to. If, if, if you're white and empowered, you've never truly been committed to it. Tanika, I see you nodding your head. I'm just nodding, I'm just nodding because when you ask what we have to resist, I would simply say our addiction to power. Mm. And uh, that's how you get all of those isms um, and even um, among us and, and our addiction to either being in the victor or the victim. We have to resist it in that there are 
inside of each and every one of us. Uh, it, it, it could be a giant or it could be a secret oppressor. And so we have to resist um, the need. And, and I would say, because when you look at op oppression, any of the isms, there are those that we hate, usually because they affect us negatively. Those are the ones that we tolerate, usually because we don't see how it'll affect us. And then there are the ones that we perpetuate. Come on and teach. Because we do gain. We do gain. And, and we do this, you know, when we ignore what is happening. One of my um, core scriptures is Luke 9, 23. And Jesus says, if anyone come after me, you know, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. You know, the thing is, this is a daily piece that you can't walk once a year. You can't march once a year. You can't have a worship service once a year. That's nothing. And I'll say it on your podcast. That's not that that's not even a drop in a bucket in a sea of oppression. And so we 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 lie to ourselves thinking we're doing things when it's just they're not even symbols. You know, it, it, it and, and it's perpetuated. So this this resistance, the first thing maybe that we have to resist is our own um, our own grasp and our own ignorance, because we need to understand what a lot of what we're doing. It's not even helpful when you say you're doing something and it's nothing against these racial reconciliation worship services or whatever, but it is against it because. We, we lie to ourselves and say, this is making a difference. Um, we lie to ourselves when we, when we make those who are pressed be responsible yeah. for um, giving knowledge or teaching people about racism. That's not my responsibility. I can't be, what? That's even more pressure. So once again, the first thing we have to deny, if we're really gonna take up our cross, we have to be willing to sacrifice. And so our last addiction is to safety. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't believe in taking up a cross. We will wear a cross, but we won't bear a cross. And so we have to be willing, and this is, I say this with conviction to myself, to not be safe in oppressed spaces and to question why the empowerment of somebody else is a threat to me. Yeah, yeah. So what I hear you saying, I'm taking notes, you know, as, as you all preach here, is that the annual pulpit swap, the community day, and the once a year book club focus don't exactly bring justice. Is that, would that be correct? It brings denial, which is the ah! last part of addiction. You, you talked a lot about, and you're, you're, you're teaching us, which leads me to uh, my dear brother, Neville Callum. He, he is the uh, General Secretary Emeritus of the Baptist World Alliance. Uh, and he writes this in his book, From Fragmentation to Wholeness, uh, Race, Ethnicity, and Communion. He said, churches need to urge their members to recognize that the association of biology and race constitutes the very foundation of the problem of race and racist ideology. Uh, they need to explain that this ideology is a human creation designed both to make perceived inequality between people appear to be inborn and to reinforce the belief that it is a part of the taken for granted landscape of human life. I don't hear churches teaching about race um, or racism or any of, uh, any of its children, its progeny. So both racialized and made in the image of God, how does this theology of body work? Mm. We're not teaching about race. We're teaching about racism. We're talking about the experience of racism, about oppression, but race 
begot racism. Without the socio-political construct of race, you do not have racism or prejudice or stereotyping. Mm -hmm. And it goes against the very image of God, whom we decided that we're going to color in. So how do we, how do we, how do we make that theology of body work, mm. which appears in, in any version, any color we would have Jesus to be? I, I would simply say this. Uh, what we've done is that we've, instead of teaching um, and really living out being made in the image of God and all creation being made in the image of God, we have instead created a God in our own image. Yeah. And when God is diminished to such a small, infinite thing, only a few people can really fit that image of God. And, and, and then the rest of us are clawing our way on some spectrum, but never really getting there. And so we bow down to that image. We worship that image. Yeah. That image is an idol. And so if we're really going to reclaim God, we have to remove, hence racist gospel. Come on and do a, come on, shout it out. Is that the sign <laughs> in the back? Are you listening? That's the name of the podcast, hence the raceless gospel. So Jesus doesn't come in your favorite color. Not at all. Oh, okay. So what are we going to do with these white Jesuses? These surfer body Jesuses? These Rastafarian Jesuses? When Jesus is a Mediterranean, Jesus was and is a Mediterranean Jew. Hmm. What are we going to do? When we, when we profess a faith that if Jesus is not skin to me, Jesus is not kin to me. Mm. And if we don't, if Jesus doesn't look like us, then Jesus can't save us. Mm. Mm. What are we going to do, people? How does that theology work? Mm. When white supremacy takes up so much space, even more space than Jesus. Yeah. Mm. I mean, in white churches, too, I've um, thought it important to really call that out, to, to say that Jesus was not white. He was a oppressed, brown-skinned Palestinian Jew living under Roman Empire in which people were being forced to call Caesar Lord, Lord and God. Caesar was walking around with a, his own choir that sang to him, saying, <laughs> glory, almighty, you know, empower, Lord, Caesar, you know. And so when the Christians sang those hymns, glory and honor and praise belong to you, O Lord, that was turning the tables upside down. That was reversing the power structure. That was saying no to, yeah. to, to that. So what if in our, in our confirmation classes, when we're teaching the Bible and we start with that story in Genesis, we actually taught that story as it's meant to be taught again as a revolutionary story that said, Hey, you know, in, in that day, the creation story was about how God's created men to be slaves but the creation story in our Bible says God created humanity and called human beings good. Yeah. All creation good. Yeah. And says good over and over and over again. And in the, the midst of that day, the gods created the heavens and the earth and humanity out of a war and out of the body and bones and blood of torn up gods out of brutality and violence. This guide creates with the image of a of a mother hovering over the waters, nurturing all creation, and calls it all good. And then what if we move from saying that, that radical moral critique that's in Genesis chapter one, and we said, and now we need to look at the history of this country. We need to look at some critical race theory. We need to understand 
what this God calls us to be and do. So let's look straight at racism and understand that dismantling racism is a spiritual discipline. And for the church today, it has to be the core spiritual discipline. Yes and amen. Amen. <laughs> Can I say something, um, Starlet, that you really helped me think through is what I would just name as the sin of whiteness. And the reason I call it that, and it is the sin of race, is that the way we even think about it and the way it's constructed is whiteness as purity means that anybody who has a drop of anything else, if you think about it, you're black if you have a drop of black blood, which means that that blackness or color becomes a contaminating force and is the sin. So even the construct of race, and that's why I said that it, the whiteness being purity, we see it in how women are, white women are treated versus black, black women and, and, and we're women of color is that we have to get down to the meaning that we've attached to yeah. color and to yeah. race yeah. and deal and dismantle that instead of taking pride in that. Yeah. You because know? it is a kind of social righteousness. Mm -hmm. That white skin is the right skin. Mm -hmm. that light skin is the best skin. Mm -hmm. you look innocent based on, it's, it's all based on appearance. It's based on aesthetic. It yeah. has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus didn't come to save your skin. Jesus came to see the soul. That's a different gospel. And if you talk about one drop, yeah, any other type of blood is not white. Like that, that is, you know, when you think about it, you can only be like if you we call black anybody who has, you know, a drop of color. But that means pureness is whiteness. Hmm. It's holiness. Yeah. You're set apart by God because of your appearance. Yeah. Purity. And then, so now we're too close to holiness. Mm -hmm. You have a whole theology wrapped up in this, but it's 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 idolatrous, mm -hmm. and it's human made. And so then, once again, God is then totally created in our own image or in an image that was mm -hmm. that was created by somebody to perpetuate a system of oppression, and we've all bought in. Mm -hmm. Because God is a socially colored white person. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the image of all power. God has to be white. That's right. I've, I've asked often, I don't know who commissioned this painting. I don't know who told us we were able to do it or how high up. I don't know what ladder you used that you can color in the face of the divine, but I'd sure like to see it. Mm. How high up did you climb to color in the face of God? Seriously. How is that even possible? How much power and authority have you given yourself as a human being to call someone else other? Mm. Mm -hmm. We've made mm. ourselves gods. Race divinizes us in ways that... Mm that have no biblical or biological basis. That one, one drop is based on a one drop rule. There's no black blood, no red blood, no yellow blood, no white blood, no beige blood, no red blood. That's, that's only red blood. That's, that's a construct as well, mm -hmm. that we're fragmented in this way. Absolutely. The body of Christ, I don't understand it. We segregate ourselves and, 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 and in effect, we're amputating ourselves. We're cutting ourselves off from each other, intentionally, religiously, mm -hmm. faithfully, that we are most united in our divisions. Mm -hmm. And we get up and say, glory, hallelujah, amen. Ain't God good? No, no, this is not God. And we talked about this earlier, um, about uh, there is a generation that doesn't want uh, these hand-me-down hatreds. Mm -hmm. It's two sizes too small for me. It's not the right color for me. It's not the right size for me. And I didn't ask for it. I don't want a faith that I have to keep fighting, fighting my siblings over. You've had, you've had hundreds of years to figure this thing out and to figure out, to reconcile. And you still haven't done it. 
Phyllis Tickle says every 500 years there's a rummage sale. And so there's a generation coming, coming that's already here actually, uh, that's putting stickers on pews and hymn books and pulpits and saying 75 cent, putting 75% off. You can haggle me on this. You can talk me down on this because we no longer need this. This no longer works for our generation. We don't need this. We need a faith that we can believe in that that's not just a Sunday morning commitment. I don't need a nine, 10 and 11 o'clock faith. I want a faith I can live with mm. every day of my life. And if you can't give that, then I don't want it. Which leads, leads to my next question for you all. Because um, not only do we have the story of a mass migration of millennials and generation uh, a Z is, 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 is not even interested at this point, uh, but their statistics are supported. Uh, the Pew Research Center reported in 2019 uh, the headline is, in U.S., decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. More than half of millennials, Generation Y, are not Christians. And Religion News Service reports that Generation Z, the oldest now in their early 20s, is lukewarm about religion. They are looking for what Walter Brueggemann calls a tenacious solidarity. So can they look to the church in North America for this? And why or why not? I was thinking as you described the young people um, who are putting stickers on Bibles and kind of rejecting the current church, that they are the Jesus in the temple of their day. My Lord. At least I hope they are, because I think that um, what we need to understand is that the, the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day were the people who had been hijacked, co-opted by empire, by Rome. Um, because of our anti-Semitism in the past, we've sometimes said it was their Jewishness. No, it wasn't that. It was that they were co-opted by the Roman authorities and they were serving the empire. They had sold out to their people and to their faith. And so I hope that young people, one, can find a sense of solidarity actually outside the church to strengthen themselves spiritually and kind of recreate the body of Christ. I'm inspired by a feminist theologian named Rosemary Radford Ruther who created, do you know her? Yes. She created this concept of women church, right? And I always, I did try a couple of times to start women church and had some facets of that, but we need that. We can create our own church is what I want to say to us, right? Because uh, God created us to be like a, a, a priesthood, right? We're not, we're not supposed to like have these kind of kings and earthly authorities that we worship. We're supposed to gather together as the body and and, and figure out and wrestle with who God is and what God's calling us to do. At the same time, if we have that kind of women church or that kind of informal structure of solidarity, perhaps we can then come in, this is not the sole goal, but come in and help reform some of the institutional church, or maybe it falls away entirely. You know, maybe it falls to the ground, it sings itself away and something new emerges like Phyllis Tickle has talked about. But it is time for us to take responsibility for what church can look like to us. And church is supposed to be a radical community of love, reversing the hierarchies, stripping us of those, and dismantling racism, misogyny, all of the isms. And that's what we need to be about. Let the church say amen. Yeah, amen. <laughs> I was sitting here thinking, I was literally in a conversation this morning um, about millennials and eos. And I, and I think um, what their resistance gives me hope, um, actually. Um, one of the things that I think those in power in the church have to realize is that you're dealing with generations who are probably more educated than you. So 
this this thing where we've idolized the person in the pulpit that has to be torn down. Um, the thing where that person is always right. I mean, we're dealing with the reality of many, much of the church or churches being co-opted just in the last four years in election where you literally have people calling a lying um, politician um, um, the man of God and them no longer falling for just because you're putting your hands on them and praying that that person is of God. And so that discernment, um, I appreciate. Now, the skepticism is what needs to be um, addressed, and that is addressed often through relationships and through the admitting truth. But that also goes to um, this generational piece. Um, the church is usually distracted by things that are extremely unimportant. Um, the reason that you can put the pews up for the rummage sales, nobody cares about that stuff. If it's not saving lives, if I can do more service outside of the church to help people than inside of the church without dealing with the political um, nature and hypocrisy, I will go do that and live an abundant life. But I, I, I say all that having hope, and, and it is a hope that as long and i tell this to church a lot of time who are in need of like how can we you know my own church now working and i said as long as you know people are hungry for community which younger people are as long as they're they desire a connection to the divine and as long as i believe in my theology jesus saves then there is hope but what we have to do is get rid of the rest this is a time of cleansing it is a time of truth it is a time of dealing with church hurt it is a time of, of literally addressing the church's once again addiction to power this wait your turn mentality has got to be thrown away we will not be led by incompetent ignorant people um, and we will not have more respect given in the world than in the church. I don't go to church to be disrespected, to be demeaned, to be talked down to. So, so especially if I once again know more than you, I have access to the same Bible and I have access to the same God. And so if I must create my own community, I will. And so the church can either, either react, um, no, don't react. Respond to this need by sacrificing um, our own, you know, places and whatever we set up and making room or the churches can go where other dying things go. The oh. church as we know it, you know, can go. I believe in a God that will resurrect, though. But in order to resurrect something, something must die. Mm. So well, did we come here today to bury we, we, we must, we, we must, so you, can, you, you know, you can either die with it oh. or you can be a part of this new life. That That is the decision that we're going to have to make. And we have to stop lying to people, making false promises. We have to address these false gospels that promise finances, but will take advantage of the people who have none. We have to address this and call it the evil that it is. Speak a word. We got to do word. it. And when we do that, the doors, the people will be at the doors. But I will not be a part of my own marginalization. And I will no longer, this is what many of them saying, be That's a right. part of my own oppression. That's right. I'm not going to do it. That's right. That's right. Hmm. 
if we were in the room together, I'd slap your back. <laughs> I would say you're preaching. I should have put my collar on today. I didn't know we were going to have a funeral. I thought it was a come to Jesus meeting. Child, I ain't bring my collar. I ain't bring no tissues for nobody. Girl, I, I, went, I, should, I ain't bring my little usher gloves. Got, you know, we got to stop making it so hard for people to be connected to the divine. Yes. All these steps that we make. Yes. How is it possible that Jesus on the cross says to a thief, you will be with me today in paradise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, people got to wait months and weeks and all <laughs> that stuff. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it doesn't make sense. I feel like we should give the benediction, ashes to ashes. God, we thank you for a great church. We think it was a wonderful church, but it must die. God is not doing your work, Jesus. The church is—is is the church really the body of Christ? Ah, that's the question. That's the question. No. I have one, I have one more for you all before I let you go. Um, at fifty-five percent. Women make up the majority of most Protestant churches, yet this is not reflected in Christian leadership. The role of women in ministry has long been a source of contention with scripture being used to tie her tongue. Dare I say, they've used scripture and stuffed it down her throat. Uh, still women are answering the call. Skilled and clearly graced with tools for this time. What of this body work do you call to? Mm. We have to reckon with misogyny in the church. Yes. The theology that backs that up. Um, Mary Daly said, if God is male, then men are gods. Oh, mm. oh. Mm. <laughs> I'm standing up, people. Uh, if God is I'm male, standing then up, men people. are That is idolatry. Mm. That is idolatry. Jesus was not white. God is not white and male. God is they, God is, God created all of us in, our, in God's image. So God holds all of us. We all have that voice and power. And this idea of complementarianism, which is just another word for women's subservience, oh. is another type of, you know, so complementarianism that men, that women complement men, they, they're, you know, the other half, but they, they can't have the same power and the same access and the same voice and can't lead. That's just another separate but equal. It's just another another version of that. And people try to like negotiate around it and say, no, 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 women and men, both in God's image. But no, if you give them different roles like that, when they have the same gifts that men do, then that, that's just another form of idolatry. Mm. We need to reckon with that. The organization I lead, Faith in Public Life, is um, going to prioritize the dismantling of racism and misogyny. They're kind of twin sins in the church. And of course, you know, we got to look at intersectionality too. And that gets really complicated to understand because sometimes we white women aren't reckoning with race, you know, and so we've got to do all of that work. But that's the work that has to be central to the church's mission, the body of Christ's mission since we're calling out the institutional church. Absolutely. I think once again, there are things that um, must die so that the body must, so that the body can live. And um, definitely the misogyny, we call it toxic masculinity, but the toxic, that toxicity exists both in men and women um, because sometimes the greatest block to the um, rise of women are other women who bought into 
this idea of um, uh, what you, you know, all of the things, um, Jennifer, you named. I will also say that as we deal with what's inside of us, we also have to understand that women are not things. And so uh, in our theology, um, we have to deal, and I would name it with women being things in the Bible, owned, uh, multiplied, and that just carries on with this understanding even of what we have as marriage where women are being like go from the ownership of the father to the ownership of the of the husband to the ownership of the son if he should die so these constructs um have not gone away but in the title of when people say christian values why in christian value am i in values am i as a woman not valued um, or can't value myself. Why is that? Like, that's what we have to ask. Like in our Christian values, why does that, do, do we perpetuate women not being valued and not valuing themselves, valuing their voices, valuing their contributions? And so one thing I constantly bring up, I try in every presentation or part that I do is what we really have to do is address these two E's of exaltation and expectation where in our churches, women are have high expectation. They're expected to do so much, but the exaltation is very low as opposed to men who have a low ex expectation. They could just show up with a Bible. You can preach. But the exaltation is we will immediately put you in the pulpit as if you should be exalted like God because you have male body parts and show up as a man. We have to tear these things down if we are going to move forward. And those are things that we are either helping to dismantle or we are a part of the construct. You can pick which side you're on. Hmm. I don't appreciate how you just said all that so calmly. Oh, what? We have just gone to church. <laughs> my Lord and my God. I want to thank you both for joining me on the Racist Gospel Podcast. Wow. Wow. We've got body work to do, y'all. I want to thank our guests, Jennifer Butler and Tanika Shepard, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus, whose body works for and not against you. Invite him to journey with you as you discern your body's work. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 2 is brought to you through the generous support of Fellowship Southwest and American Baptist Home Mission Societies. You can support the work and witness of the Raceless Gospel Podcast by giving to Good Faith Media. Please visit our website, goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep doing this bodywork. Head over to Our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Kendall Ray Rothus and talk about a church that is body conscious. Mm -hmm.